Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I am joined by Josh Bowen, lead of execution environment team for Celestia. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Luke. Yeah, did I get that right? Is it Bowen or Bowen? Bowen. <laughs> Bowen. Okay, all right. Just making sure. We, we talked about that before the call, but I did not write it down. All right, so uh, jumping right in, Celestia, what is it? So Celestia is, you know, in, in, in a strict way, it's like it's an L1 would be one way to describe it, right? Okay. Um, but it's a more limited L1 than I think what people are kind of used to in the current paradigms. If you think of, you know, an Ethereum, a Solana, a Cosmos Chain, Avalanche, Near, whatever, whatever you have you, right? Um, where we focus just on doing the, the data layer. So if you're familiar with the roll-up space, kind of, you know, this is more of an Ethereum area. Um, you have a roll-up, and what the roll-up needs to write to it is call data. It needs to write a lot of data to call data, and that's kind of driving the cost of the roll. Celestia is essentially implementing a blockchain that just does call data style stuff. It just does kind of raw um, transactional data, but it doesn't try to interpret those transactions and do like a state transition function on them. Sure. Okay, interesting. <clears throat> so when you say uh, data layer, are we talking about, uh, like, do you make a distinction between disk and RAM and that sort of thing, or is this all just like a, a more generic, um, I don't know, extrapolation of data. Yeah, so it's maybe, it's maybe more generic. You know, we're not we're not trying to like separate like the paradigm of like, you know, an, an in-memory, you know, store versus like, you know, an on-disk store, you know, a blockchain, right? To like when yeah. you commit a blockchain, right? Like you, you, you flush to disk, right? Right. Um, so you're not going to be keeping anything in memory. And it is a full blockchain in that same way specifically the thing it's leaving out is essentially your your the validity of your state transition function so you know if you submit a transaction to ethereum you know and this transaction um you know is executing some contract call on a smart contract right there are rules of that smart contract that need to be checked for that transaction to actually go through whereas on celestia you know you can say hey i just want to dump bytes and i want to store bytes it's essentially like a like a key value store um you just write a bunch of bytes and and then it will say okay great i i wrote those so one of the terms that I think has been useful to understand it that, that's um, come from the research is the idea of a dirty ledger, where you can you can mm -hmm. use Celestia as a dirty ledger because it's just storing data, but it's not it's guaranteeing the availability of that data, but it's not guaranteeing the validity of that data, depending on how you want to interpret that at an execution layer. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. So thinking of it as a, a dirty data layer, um, when we when we say that. Uh, so, so basically Celestia is just the data layer, but then you have other layers on top of that. And I want to get into um, kind of the cross-pollination between those upper layers, um, where if it's dirty at <laughs> the base layer, can I read uh, data from somebody else's layer? But before we get into that, let's just, let's take a step back. What are the layers that you foresee on top of Celestia? Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's going to be, it's pretty early here, right? I think if we look at kind of the classic state of, of what people expect for for blockchains as they stand now, right? The standard layer would be you'd have the data layer and that's gonna be, you, know, you can think of it like call data on Ethereum. And then you have what we're calling a settlement layer. And, and it would be essentially a roll up on top of Celestia. Um, but what it would do, what it would be, um, one, of the, one of the things we're working on is, is an EVM execution environment that would settle, um, other execution environments above it. So you'd have essentially something that is an EVM um, environment and it's a sovereign rollup is the terminology we've been using. And what we mean by that is the 
only thing you're reliant on is Celestia as the data layer um, okay. in, in that you're not reliant on more layers. Um, sure. And so what this settlement layer, which is in a way an execution layer, because it has to have the state transition function, right? Um, sure. What that could be used to do, um, and this is coming from a post Mustafa had a, a bunch back and, and Matt DeFronte, one of our advisors, had a way back about limiting the execution environment as EBM so you can do single round fraud proofs. If you're familiar with kind of the fraud proof design space, um, kind of the, the two largest players there, Optimism and Arbitrum, both use um, interactive verification games for this. But the way you do an interactive verification game assumes you have a referee. And so that requires your actual layer that you're you're settling this roll up to, to have its own execution environment. And so Celestia doesn't have this execution environment to essentially referee this interactive verification game. So in that way, we're relying on these single round fraud proofs um, that don't require this referee. But the limitations of single round fraud proof, right, is that you can end up with a very, very large fraud proof, um, which can yeah. be limiting in, in certain ways, right? Whereas interactive verification game essentially restricts the amount of, um, like, like the size of the proof that you actually have to share to one opcode, essentially. Um, and, and it's larger on a single round fraud proof. So we need to limit the amount of state transitions, um, the types you can do on the, ex on, on the settlement layer um, so that you have fraud proofs that are small enough essentially to store. And that allows you to then have the settlement layer that talks directly to Celestia. And then on top of that, you would have what we're kind of considering like your, your standard L2. So this would be your Arbitrums and your Optimisms. Mm, okay. They can now use the settlement layer and deploy their bridge contracts on top of the settlement layer. And these bridge contracts would be the things that play that referee the interactive verification game. So in this stack, you have kind of three layers here. You have okay. your unrestricted EVM execution environment, Optimism, Arbitrum, um, what have you. That will have a EVM contract on the settlement layer's EVM. Mm -hmm. And that settlement layer EVM will use single round fraud proofs um, to, to push to Celestia. And so that's one design space we see happening. Um, the other larger one I think we, we look at is the idea of sovereign rollups, um, uh -huh. where the settlement layer is one form of sovereign rollup. But we also see people doing kind of app-specific chains or even mm -hmm. unrestricted execution environments as a sovereign rollup where they just write the data to Celestia. Um, and this is more the realm we think of, of zero knowledge rollups because you can just submit um, your, your proof, your ZK proof to the data layer as raw data. And then you can have client side verification essentially of that proof because you have this asymmetric proving thing, right? It, it's, it's less, um, less state is required to be stored on the data layer itself to kind of verify the proof than in like a single round fraud proof or, or a peer to peer IBG or an interactive verification game, right? Sure. So those are kind of the two realms we see, like this layered approach with the settlement layer in the middle or the sovereign approach, which is probably going to be the realm of, of ZK rollups. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, I mean, not getting into too much uh, depth with the the proofs and the, the rollups, but so we have the data layer at the bottom and then you're going to have multiple settlement layers on top of that, multiple execution layers on top of each of those. And some of these kind of self-contained um, does both the settlement and execution as a, a maybe a single purpose application. You know, it's just a social blockchain um, or, you know, it could even be uh, like a smart contract platform on top of on top of Celestia. So for, for each of those, they're all coming down to the Celestia data layer. Um, how does that work if I'm like if I build a social blockchain? on top of Celestia and I, I don't have my own data layer and somebody else builds their own roll up of something over here, then 
uh, we're both storing data in the same place. Can we read each other's data and like make any sense of it? Or is it all kind of siloed based on where you're coming from? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it's a permissionless blockchain, right? So we have the concept of, of namespaces, but it's not like there's a permission process to say, sure. I'm going to reserve this namespace. And that's why we like the term um, dirty ledger, because yeah. there is this kind of spam vector. Like you can say, hey, I have my rollup and I write all of my rollup data to this specific namespace on Celestia. But that doesn't prevent any third party, you know, malicious or not, right, from just writing data into your namespace. So you do right. have to have some concept of like, what is valid data? You have to have this filtering step um, sure. when you read data out of it to say, no, this is not like, you know, valid data. And so this could be, you know, one way you do kind of like leader selection, right? On, on your rollup where you say, hey, you know, we knew at, you know, this block time on our rollup, which has some alignment with a block time on Celestia, right? Um, and we say, no, yeah, at this block time, um, this was the leader. And so if we have transactions that are kind of written to Celestia and they weren't, you know, signed by this, by this, uh, leader, right? Mm -hmm. Then we'll choose to filter those out, right? You yeah. know, we, we don't we don't read those as valid transactions. So there is this ability to have kind of just spam in the space, sure. um, but you know it's it's um, it's filterable, right? It, and so that's just kind of like one of the costs of a permissionless system, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So if I wanted to, I could make a layer that kind of read from everybody's data, but that would be you know, high likelihood that I'd get some spam or, or things that just don't make sense in my world. Yeah, but there, I think that there, there might be some use cases here, right? You know, there, there are benefits because you get the, you know, the data availability guarantee uh -huh. of, you know, the, the, the data on the layer, right? You know, you can get this namespace, you know, we have a namespace Merkle tree, right? So you can get a guarantee of the availability of the data, you know, just the data you care about in one namespace, right? right. So you can have more limited scope there. But, you know, there's, there is value from like an interoperability perspective of knowing that kind of like all of the data across many namespaces um, is it, like still has the same data availability guarantees, right? So to sure. solve that data availability problem, there can be a realm of like rollups interoperating with each other and already having the availability guarantees of the data that's written to the layer, even if it's on a different namespace. So there can be some value in like interoperability there. Gotcha, cool. Um, how does it work with uh, like running a node, right? If I'm running a node for the the data layer, this, you know, Celestia, uh, and somebody else comes along and creates some layer on top of that, I would need to run their software as well on my machine, correct? I guess so, um, when you're thinking about like, like, like from whose perspective, right? If you're just running yeah. a, a data node, right? You don't need to care about the layers above you, you know, sure. really. You're just getting, you know, transactions that are saying, you know, you say you're, you're a validator, a block producer, right? You're just collecting transactions out of a mempool. And you're just saying, okay, the, here's here's a bunch of just like transactions and they're just bytes to me. I don't really care what these yeah. bytes do and how they're interpreted some layer above. But are you saying if you're at a layer above and you want to submit down, right, you, you want to like run the software of the lower layer? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it would be running the... So yeah, that's actually a good a good point. So maybe I'm uh, I'm some sovereign rollup on top of Celestia. Can I just run my, my rollup? and not the Celestia node? Or would I need to run both? Um, and then, yeah, let's start there. <laughs> yeah, so it, I mean, it comes into like your 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 trust assumptions, right? Like sure. if you're running, you know, um, even just like, like, a, like a, a, a DeFi protocol or whatever on top of like Ethereum, like you can choose to just like rely on, um, 
you know, alchemy or whatever, right? And just say, hey, I just got you know pushed to this RPC, but you should probably be running like a full node and like validating your yeah. transactions and maybe connecting there. It's kind of the same thing, right? Like you can run a rollup and just go talk to someone else's node. Like you have to have some sure. RPC connection to write blocks to the mempool. You can right. choose to use, you know, whatever services become available over time to do so. But generally for like, kind of like safety guarantees, the assumption is like you would be running a node in the Celestia network, whether that's a full node, whether that's a light node, um, you would be doing something to kind of give yourself guarantees of, of the validity and the availability of that data. Sure, that makes sense. Um, so then if I'm creating a layer on top of Celestia, uh, then it's the same deal as like creating any blockchain. I need to go get people to run my node. I don't benefit from all the node runners that are already running Celestia. I mean, I do, but I don't, uh, I don't get the execution environment unless I have other people running my execution node. And what I'm saying, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And, and that's one of the interesting things I think about this design space is you're essentially like you're outsourcing kind of like, like, you're solving the data availability problem, which is like a key problem for rollups, right? And you're essentially yep. outsourcing that. So there is value to the shared security and and this you know, large Celestia network, right? There's like uh -huh. value to having a network that it has, you know, a large number of, of validators in it, a large number of, of full nodes in it. Um, and so you have high guarantees of the availability of that data. But then going up for actually understanding like the validity and ordering of data on your layer, you are still dependent on nodes at that layer. You know, you can, but but the, the design space is somewhat more broad than if you're just a peer um, L1 who has to kind of manage its own data availability because you are essentially assumed to be saying, I'm, you know, if I'm an end user, right? And I want to be talking to, we'll say like a sovereign rollup or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you would submit transactions to that sovereign rollup, right? And that, that rollup would say, hey, yes, I've received your transaction. I'm going to put it in this block. And that's going to be a block on that rollup layer. Because if we remember like rollups are just, they're full blockchains, right? They just have a bridge to another lower layer, right? right. That's kind of the design of, of a rollup. Um, yeah. And so that rollup node will say, yeah, okay, I got your transaction. I ordered it in, in the block here. But what guarantees you kind of want on that data? You know, you could go say, you know, I'm running... Um, you know, a, a node on that rollup, right? If I'm running a rollup full node, and then you go read from Celestia, right? You go read from mm -hmm. the namespace of Celestia, and then you can validate the block there, right? So you're not reliant necessarily on um, there being many, many nodes in the um, the rollup layer to get the availability of the data. Like you have good, like if you know that the, the sequencer will say, say the centralized sequencer, Sure. And you know that sequencer wrote the data to Celestia. You can guarantee that and have high guarantees that that data is dis distributed across a broad number of, of peers in a network, right? Um, once it's written to Celestia. And that doesn't necessarily need to be given to you by the rollup node. Sure. Um, but then there's a question of kind of like the validity of the ledger at that layer. Like um, how many people are essentially like signing off on the validity of like that sequencer, you know, followed the, um, did, didn't mix up your transactions, didn't do MEV, didn't reorder, you know, whatever, right? That's dependent on the rollup layer. Um, yeah. So there is this split, right? Um, but like, if we look at like the, the L2s on Ethereum right now, right? Like Optimism runs like a centralized sequencer right now. And all of those, you know, the assumption is that centralized sequencer is trusted by Optimism, PBC, or I don't, they split recently into like a foundation in a, you know, labs team. So I'm not even sure who's running the sequencer right now, um, but like they have a centralized sequencer and they're right down and they have some full nodes, but it's not like a permissionless network where like I can go spin up a full node and like sign on to like Optimism, right? 
um, is, is my understanding. Like there's several people who run full nodes on their behalf, but like I can't sign up and like run a full node in, in their live network. Um, so like this is kind of like the, the status quo of like rollups right now is like they're relatively kind of boxed off right now. Um, and that seems to be like a, a trust assumption people are kind of okay making. We want to move to these decentralized, you know, rollups, but that's not the state of the world right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess without kind of going, you know, too long winded, like, you know, maybe we can dive into like specific kind of questions or concerns about this design space of, of, of rollups and, and layers here. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, you explained it well. I guess uh, let, let's zoom forward uh, in time a few years and uh, say that Celestia is released and it's really taken off. And there's a bunch of different execution environments being uh, deployed on top of the Celestia data layer. Uh, let's, I mean, just put some numbers to it. Let's say there's a hundred different highly utilized execution layers on top of Celestia. And uh, each of them is running a thousand nodes of, uh, of their, you know, their execution blockchain. So what that, you know, assuming everybody follows kind of that best practice of running their own data layer. Now you have a hundred thousand nodes running the Celestia data layer. Um, do you, do you see that as, uh, I mean, it's a good thing because it's, highly distributed and decentralized uh but would like you know and you know maybe the numbers are significantly higher than that i don't know is that a good thing for celestia or it, would that increase the you know the cost of operating the network to an untenable degree i don't know just curious for your thoughts no so that's 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 a great thing for celestia that's kind of like our, our goal right we want to move towards having more node operators right that are of a, of a smaller size maybe right okay. so, so the assumption would be we have this concept of a, of a light node right and this is based on um you know the erasure encoding that we do and, and kind of fundamentally like the data availability sampling and the ideas behind that right this is like similar to the thing the um the ethereum foundation folks are doing with dank sharding i think they use um KVG, like Kate polynomial commitment, something like that, right? We, we use erasure encoding um, for it, right? And so we have this, this growth where the size of, um, I guess, let me try to like, like summarize it for you. Like, like in a standard blockchain, right? Where we assume we only have full nodes or, or light clients, right? Um, as the size of the network grows and the number of node counts grows, you have this kind of like very, very high overhead because every node has to store the entire size of the blockchain, the entire state of the blockchain, right? To like validate, the whole thing, right? So a state right. gross is kind of like problematic. You know, the design of Celestia is such that you have this concept of a light node, which is doing data availability sampling. Um, and this light node doesn't have to store the entirety of the blockchain, you know, by way of doing this erasure encoding and get a guarantee of the data being available by storing a portion of that data and then asking other peers in the network for kind of their portion of the data. And it can reconstruct the data from asking several other peers. So what we would have is we have these 100,000 nodes, right? Each node isn't storing the entirety of the state, right? They're each storing some percentage of the state. So we can actually have, you know, this, this growth of like, as the, the number of nodes grows and the size of the state grows, right? Yeah. Each node stores maybe like, like a percentage, like a smaller percentage mm -hmm. of the total chain. And I'm not the expert on you know, kind of like the, the specific kind of scaling parameters. I think we have a blog post for this or it's in the original um, paper Mustafa wrote from I think 2019 on light clients and data availability. Um, but there is this kind of this beneficial scaling with the number of nodes in the network. 
um, sure. that allows each node to do less less work um, relative to kind of the total amount of, of data that needs to be stored. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I like that. So uh, shifting topics a little bit, you're you're the lead of the, the execution environment team. Mm -hmm. And so the execution environment was previously, previously called Sevmos, mm -hmm. Celestia, uh, EVM OS, or maybe that's... Ev Evmos is a project um, by yeah. the Tharsis team, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, and, and Evmos is a, uh, it was basically like EVM for Cosmos, if I understand that mm -hmm. correctly. Yep. Um, so so you you've rebranded or you're going to rebrand so it's not sevmos anymore uh but what 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 does the execution environment that you're building look like is mm -hmm. it is it evmos still or is it something else yeah so what we're working on right now is, is we kind of have like like two parts to this right so so one part we're working on is enabling single round fraud proofs in uh the cosmos sdk and okay. so what I, what I mentioned earlier, right, to have this kind of sovereign settlement layer um, that's not a ZK settlement layer, right, you can, you're relying on single round fraud proofs. You can't do an interactive verification game because you don't have kind of a referee on an execution layer below you, right? Yeah. Um, so we're enabling the Cosmos SDK to actually be able to generate these fraud proofs by modifying essentially like like the ABCI interface um, and, and the processing there, right, when you get, you know, a new block, um, we're essentially generating intermediate state routes and enabling it such that, like, a full node in this network would know to be able to detect and then generate a fraud proof and then share that fraud proof and and also working on a construction for like light clients to be able to you know verify this this single round fraud proof right so that's one part of it because you need you know fraud proof right now and we are a, a cosmos sdk abci um interface based um chain of what we're going to execution layer the other big part we have um, that, that's actually farther along is, is this um, software we call Optimate. And Optimate is, you know, optimistic tendermint is kind of like where the name came from. Sure. Um, Though the term mint may be a little bit overloaded at this point. Um, <laughs> but what this is, is it's a replacement for tendermint in the ABCI interface. So if you're familiar with the Cosmos developer stack, you have your state transition um, app, I guess, you know, in, in Cosmos terminology, right? And, and that's going to be using Cosmos SDK and it's essentially like built on top of that, right? And then normally you have Tendermint, right? And they talk over ABCI to Tendermint and Tendermint does your block production, your peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, discussion, your round robin leader selection, stuff like that, right? You know, slashing and whatnot. Yeah. Um, what we've done is we have Optimant, which still speaks the ABCI interface. So it still speaks the exact same interface that a Cosmos SDK app is used to talking. But what Optimate does is Optimate then writes down to Celestia. So Optimate's essentially right now this, this piece of software that knows how to talk to a Celestia node to write a block there, as well as to sync back from Celestia and know, okay, I wrote a block, I got a block. Here's the block header, the block number I'm at on this rollup. Here's where Celestia is at. You know, what is the relation between those? So those are the two big pieces um we're working on here and then additionally to kind of provide you know a um like a go-to-market um you know idea of like what does this look like how do you use that we've additionally you know taken the work that the the tharsis team has done you know with with evmos and, and with their ethermint module right and we've taken the ethermint module and we've replaced tendermint within that with optimant here um okay. and so what that enables us to do is have this evm compatible um um chain that knows how to talk to Celestia. And we're using that right now as, as essentially this like MVP of like, how would you build a roll up on top of Celestia? And one of the big reasons for that is just like, 
the go-to-market for blockchain developers right now is so driven by the EVM environment, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Cosm Wasm is kind of up and coming, but it stuttered a little bit because of Terra, right? And there's a lot of the Cosm Wasm devs trying to work through that process. You know, Solana's done a good job of getting developer adoption, the Starkware guys with Cairo. But really, I'd, I'd say 90% of the smart, you know, contract developers are going to be people who know Solidity and are expecting to write on EVM. So sure. we took Ethermint as this first example to say, look, this is how developers can use the software we're providing to build kind of a settlement layer or an execution layer um, that, that talks down to Celestia. Cool. Yeah. Um, but Celestia does support other environments, right? It's not just EVM. You can set up a Wasm execution layer. You can set up Fuel if you want it. Exactly. Yeah. So we actually have like, and, and, and we're planning to, to document this more in like the coming weeks, months um, here, right? Where the idea is that with Optimant, right? It's just replacing this Tendermint component. So any Cosmos SDK app should be able to, with very, very minimal code changes, right? Essentially like changing some import stuff um, and maybe some node startup stuff to use Optimant in place of Tendermint, you can very easily repackage any Cosmos SDK app and deploy it as a rollup on top of Slashes. This could be an app-specific Cosmos SDK rollup. This could be a Cosm Wasm execution environment. Whatever you can kind of package into the Cosmos SDK. And it's not... It's not strictly limited to like the Cosmos SDK, but that's the attempt we're going with to kind of provide out-of-the-box software, right? Like if you talk to a Celestia node, it's basically just giving you like a read-write, you know? It's right. like, it's like you can treat it as like a key value story. It's like, hey, I want to write a transaction. And it's going to say, great, I wrote that transaction in this block, and then you can go read from it later, right? So you can sure. build a roll-up on that interface however you want. We're just providing out-of-the-box Optimate as like a piece of software so that it's much simpler for someone who comes from the Cosmos environment because that was kind of like the most, um, the, the kind of cleanest separation of consensus and state transition, you know, out right. there, right? Um, so we're using that as like a framework to say, hey, if you want to build this, here's kind of how you can do that. And we're going to be writing more examples than just like this EVM environment. But yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out. Like the EVM part is kind of like the less significant part of this. The significant thing is that you're going to be able to use Optimate in place of Tendermint for any Cosmos-based app, right? And then we're also adding into this Cosmos SDK, you know, we have um, the ability to generate these fraud proofs so you can deploy it as a single round fraud provable um, application, and then it doesn't need a settlement layer in between. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about gas fees. So for, for the data layer, do you impose gas fees on the layers above or is it all handled at the execution layers? Um, I know one reason why a lot of different dApps create their own single purpose blockchain, you know, take Ronin as an example, is to reduce the fees, you know, try to, you know, get that contained and offer an experience for cheaper to the users of their specific dApp. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that would make sense on Celestia or, you know, as Celestia grows, is that going to increase gas fees for all the different execution layers? Yeah. So like, so Celestia, right. It, it's just a permissionless layer one using the standard format of like, you know, we, we have, we have a fee market, right? Like sure. there is block space. There will still be a limited amount of block space. The hope is that Celestia provides a very large amount of block space compared to what existing, you know, blockchains provide, right? Um, but there's still there's still like a limited supply, right? And we want to kind of provide the most block space we possibly can. But there will be a cost. And if, you know, demand, you know, greatly outpaces the supply of block space for the chain, then yes, you'll see gas fees rise. From sure. a roll-up perspective, right? It's kind of up to that roll-up node operator, right? Like if they want to use Celestia to store, you know, 
their their um, their data and, and get those data available to guarantees, then they just submit transactions as anyone else would, right? As any other roll-up would. And they yeah. pay whatever gas fees it costs to do that. So how they pass that along to their consumers is somewhat up to them, right? You know, they sure. could be like what we see a lot with, you know, um, DYDX and other similar things where they'll say, you know, no, look, we, we went raise the money and we're going to say end users pay $0 in gas fees, right? Their, their transactions are free and they're, you know, underwriting that essentially themselves as an organization, right? right. So you could have that as a roll up, but fundamentally there is still gas fees on Celestia, right? It's just sure. a standard blockchain in that way. We have a fee market. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So if I wanted to create a, like a fearless roll up, um, I would need to do some, you know, finagling on the back end of my, my settlement layer to absorb those fees and, and come up with a different economic model uh, to handle that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it, it's kind of like the, the standard world of a blockchain, right? Like yeah. the, the economic guarantees are driven by like, you have to pay for transactional fees into the network, you know, otherwise, like what is the incentive for someone to run a node in the network? Um, and then you're not getting yeah. any economic guarantees, right? Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the economic, I mean, uh, not the economic, um, the, the incentives can just be inflationary, right? You, you yes. can, you can just issue new tokens and then not route fees to block producers and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I'm not sure what our, you know, I'm not on the specific planning for like how we're going to do, sure. you know, our specific fees. But the assumption is like, you know, we're not targeting, you know, a Solana thing where we're fractions of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. And right. as I understand it, you know, I don't want to speak for the Solana team. You know, I, I, I love those guys. But, you know, my understanding is they are looking to implement you know, some kind of a fee market going forward because they have had a lot of issues specifically around their NFT drops, right? Where mm. when you have these low fees, right? Like the cost to spam, you know, 10 million transactions to someone uh, or, or to the network, right? Is essentially like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go pay for a node that can handle my, you know, throughput of RPC request. But because I'm paying very, very little to push transactions in the network, you do get this spam, right? right. So there's going to be this kind of interesting path, right? Like what is the lowest cost transaction you can have that doesn't result in large amounts of spam. Um, I think that's kind of an open discussion we haven't figured out an answer to yet. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, there, there's a, I don't wanna <laughs> derail the conversation. There's a, there's a blockchain I'm, I'm involved with called Coinos that uh, is as feeless smart contracts, basically locking your tokens um, instead of spending them. And I'm curious what that'll do to the, the, the spam problem. Uh, in mm -hmm. theory, it is still um, you know, you're limited how much resources you have. So something like that could still be done as a, are you calling it layer two on top of Celestia? You know, I, I haven't been using that term. It, it, it is a roll up. I've been trying to hold to the term of like thinking of layer twos as these unrestricted execution environments, because like, yeah. like when you think of like a layer one, like right now, most people think a layer one has an execution layer and a data layer. It's like parts of it, right? It does consensus right. and ordering, but as part of that kind of consensus and ordering, the transactions have to be like validated through a state transition function. Right. If you combine a settlement layer and a data layer, it really looks like an L1, but like yeah. the architecture is like an L2. I've been trying to not use the terminology, you know, L2 for the settlement layer simply because then we introduce the terminology L3 and then everything gets <laughs> rather muddled, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of it as just like, it, it's a settlement layer roll up. You, you think of the settlement layer as an end user, very similar to how you think of Ethereum. Um, yeah, and and yeah. the idea is that, you know, um, an end user thinks about like the one layer they talk to, right? Like an end user that talks to a settlement layer, like whether they're a smart contract dev and deploy to that, they generally think about 
that layer, right? And then if you're, you know, a person that uses that, you just pay tokens in, in that layer or whatever fee, fee system they use. I'm trying to not be the person that introduces a more, you know, complicated topology in, into like the blockchain understanding space already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like L, uh, L1.1, L1.2. <laughs> exactly. And I think, yeah. I think as we go forward, we'll see a lot more confusing. I mean, the, as bridging expands, right, it's going right. to get too much more confusing when you have, okay, at one L2 has its own bridge to a different L1. And you're like, right. all right, well, let's get confusing when there's also that the L2 that L1 settles to probably also has a bridge there. It's going to get to an interesting kind of like, you know, graph in the space. One other thing I wanted to mention is real quick on like the fee thing. I think there's an interesting, I think it's really interesting design space. And I don't want to spend too much time because it's not, you know, my yeah. focus, right? But there is an interesting thing of like, if you have um, something, you know, that, that connects before, right? Where the idea of like, it's a permissionless, you know, namespace thing, right? Like if someone chose to submit, you know, a roll up on top of Celestia and they said, okay, I'm going to underwrite all my fees and I'm going to like write data here. Well, depending on how, you know, what, what types of transactions you write, someone else could essentially ARB block space on Celestia by okay. choosing to use you and write data to you, you pay the fees, and then they have a separate roll-up that reads from the same namespace you write stuff mm. into and choose to interpret in a different way, right? Yeah. So there's an interesting thing of like, you know, if you're paying for an underlying thing and you're, you know, zeroing out that cost, well, someone can take advantage. And this is this is a pretty classic example, actually. Um, even in like non-blockchain space, where there's a common problem in like um, like like computing kind of stuff. Like if you're a provider in like the cloud market and you mm -hmm. provide some non um, essentially metered uh, execution or, or non-metered computation, yeah. there will be people that will try to abuse that. Like if you provide you know a free service that says you get you know one shared vCPU and we don't charge you, well people will make ten thousand accounts right. to then have one free one on ten thousand accounts. So that's, it's an interesting space we get into where like the fundamental problem of like block space, block space costs money to secure. You can paper over that however you want, but like there will be malicious actors or even just, you know, people trying to argue that will try to take advantage of that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. That, that's a, that's a really good point because however you meter it, it, it still needs to be metered. You know, you can't just offer straight up free, you know, if you're, highly application specific you might be able to get get away with that um you know if you're just a social you know and you have settlement and execution all together on top of celestia um that's something you could do but if you are if you're separating settlement and execution and settlement is something that uh is much more flexible um then offering that for free in an unmetered way would be dangerous Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's an interesting design space here. Right. And one of the reasons, you know, we, we want to like, one of the things we're trying to avoid, right. Is like, there is this big discussion, like how you meter things to how you price things. Right. The idea would be that like, you don't accidentally introduce some way where people can make a more complicated architecture, essentially like intentional obfuscation to save money when you're like, well, we'd prefer people not have to make like arbitrarily complex ways to do a thing because the way we metered it was like not a correct way to meter it. And there was some way to cheat through complexity, right? Ideally, the correct way to use it is to pay for the data on a per byte basis. And that's the simplest way to do it. And people don't benefit by like, you know, utilizing someone else's namespace to like our, you know, the cost of uh, transactions. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, so, so let's 
talk more about the those trade-offs you know if i do separate my settlement and execution layer uh versus you know having it be a, a sovereign roll-up i think was the term you used mm-hmm. um what does this change I mean, we, we talked about kind of the fee angle what does this change in terms of like the the trustedness of the mm-hmm. the settlement layer um and, and just generally uh you know what are the trade-offs is it does it change the the question of uh, liquidity across the different execution environments um is is there an issue with synchronicity um yeah, how does that change the economics there's a lot of different angles we could take that question but mm-hmm. what are the trade-offs is really the, the core of it yeah, so a, a good entry point, I think, would be to focus on, like, the idea of, like, a sovereign roll-up. And kind of in the name there, right, is the idea of, like, it's sovereign. And so the specific, you know, idea there is that, like, it doesn't have reliance on others. So so there's a nuance there, right? But, like, you know, the, the first thing is, like, if you were the person, you know, let's say you made a sovereign roll-up and it was a completely centralized sequence. It was just, like, your roll-up. It's, like, you are, like, a person. This is your blockchain. And you just run the only node, Right. Well, you get to order the transactions however the hell you want on your blockchain, right? Anyone else is allowed to run a node in your thing, but you're the only guy who ever gets to write transactions. Well, you have kind of full sovereignty over your thing, right? No yeah. one else can choose to change data. Other people can spam into the namespace on Celestia, but it, if it always has to be signed by your node key, right? You just filter out everyone else's transactions. So you have complete control over like the state of your chain. Sure. Um, and so that's probably the biggest advantage of these sovereign things. Like, no one else can kind of like censor your stuff. And and it's worth going into the nuance there. And and, and this is like something that hasn't been, I think, like fleshed out much, um, but may come up because there is like, there is a block producer on Celestia, right? But the thing about the block producer is that by default, it doesn't interpret the transactions as anything, right? Right. But the block producers, because when we get into the MEV space, the MEV guys will do weird things right um if if the block producer in celestia also chose to run a full node of your roll-up chain right as it receives your transactions it could on its own choose to interpret those transactions and understand what the intention of those transactions was on your roll-up chain and now it can choose to censor those kind of how it wants right so there is something there right but you do have the ability to kind of reorder on on your layer right like you have a, it's, you're kind of dependent on the lower layer um, for like block to block ordering, right? Like right. this data is in this block and this data is available. But yeah. then you can choose to read it and say, well, actually I've decided as the sequence or the full note that like within this block, we actually order these transactions this way because that's how we choose to do it. And we, we want to essentially bring the MEV up to our layer. So you have this ability yeah. to kind of capture the MEV up the stack um, so, so the sovereign layer has like, there's a little bit of like a, a risk block to block from like a censorship part of like Celestia, but it's complex and relatively expensive and, you know, probably only happening in very, very high value things, but there, there is a risk there, right? But much less so than if you had a settlement layer and a settlement layer, right? You're back to the same kind of world of like an L1 right now, right? Where you say, Hey, I'm a roll up. And like, I have this L1 and I'm dependent on, you know, that settlement layer, for how I order transactions, for how these transactions are interpreted, for whether they're censored or not, right? Yeah. Um, and so you're just back to kind of the same world of you know where we're at now, which is which is honestly rather fine, right? Like, um, but it is just understanding that like 
you make a roll up and if you have, you know, this, 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 I'm going to call it an L2, right? You have optimism, you have a centralized sequencer for your optimism fork or whatever, right? Sure. And you write to a settlement layer. Well, you're relying on that settlement layer, not, you know, censoring transactions to your bridge contract, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the assumption is that that roll up or that settlement layer will be aware of like your bridge contract, right? Because it's actually doing the state transition validity. So it doesn't have to do this extra step of like a Celestia validator. Um, so you are dependent on that. But there's, there's another maybe benefit to this. And, and this is a very, very broad space. So we could talk about this for like hours, right? Yeah. Where yeah. on a sovereign roll up, right? You can't exit your token. <laughs> Sorry. Um, like if I have a token on a sovereign roll up, I can't exit that into like a Celestia token, right? You're, you're paying for block space on Celestia, but there's no like execution layer that understands your stuff. There's no bridge, right? You're just paying yeah. for block space. There's not a bridge. If you have the settlement layer, you're where we're at now where you say, yeah, you do have a trustless bridge between these rollups and you could exit your tokens onto the L1 um, the settlement layer and then do stuff there. The also, you know, you mentioned liquidity, right? Well, mm -hmm. liquidity is probably going to be fragmented between sovereign rollups. You know, I, I mentioned a little bit, right? There's an idea of like having the shared availability guarantees of like all of Celestia and like the namespacing. So there is a bridge, the bridge design space opens up a little bit more for rollups on Celestia sharing a data layer because the availability of that data is more guaranteed. Um, so that opens up that space a little bit more. Um, but generally, there will still be fragmented liquidity, and you'll have to bridge between them, right? Because you can't exit to this lower layer, there's no kind of like built-in bridge between a roll two different rollups on top of Celestia. But if you have a settlement layer, right, you have the standard paradigm now where you can go L2 to L1 back to L2, right? And that's kind of sure. the expensive way. You know, if it's a fraud proof, it's based on, you know, a time window there. If it's a, you know, validity proof, you know, it's instant, but has like a prover cost. So usually, you know, they bundle, and so there's some amount of time it takes to write it down there, right? Sure. Um, but you do have that bridge and then you can have fast bridges, you know, something like hop, you know, where they say, you know, you have a liquidity provider that's willing to essentially buy the risk out from you. So there is this very large trade-off space. And I think one of the ways, you know, you know, my team, you know, at Celestia is viewing this is like, we don't want to bias people towards one direction or another. You know, sure. we want to say, look, we have Celestia and Celestia as a network is improved when we have large quantities of data being written to it that are providing utility on, on rollups on top of it, right? We don't necessarily want to be opinionated about how people choose to structure, you know, their network topology of we want, you know, 10,000 sovereign rollups or we want five settlement layers or two settlement layers or whatever, right? We don't particularly care. We just want people to get utility out of providing this good data availability layer as kind of like a base infrastructure layer to the blockchain ecosystem. Cool. All right. I like it. Interesting. Well, the Celestia seems to have a very powerful design. I am, I'm really curious to see how it shakes out with the data layer being, um, <laughs> I don't want to say dumb, <laughs> but not, no, that's, uh, not, that's, 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 I've, I've used the term, the, the, the dumb data layer, you know, you have this okay. dirty ledger and a dumb data layer because it's, it, it's, like there's there's cleverness happening, right? Like no yeah, one is Celestia's yeah. dumb, right? But the idea is that we have this a set this intentionally kind of naive layer that it just does one task, but it, it's optimized for that task. There's benefits it can do, you know, with this task, you know, like the erasure encoding, you know, this better scalability properties, right? Um, you know, it's like like do you want, you know, there's a reason there are separations in architectural designs, you know, of software, right? Like, you know. 
every most databases have an underlying key value store, right? And end users yeah. might want to interact with, you know, the the SQL layer on top of that. But like, there's still like a, a, a dumb data layer below that. And it's intentional why it is like less complex as a piece of software. Um, yeah. So there's value to that. And, and, and we think, you know, I think we're, we've kind of been vindicated by like the market, you know, by, by Polygon, you know, going with this by like the dank sharding protocol, you know, dank sharding proposal moving forward aggressively, you know, it shows that the market actually does have this high demand for this unstructured, you know, raw data that is ordered in blocks, right? You know, there's a high demand for that. And you can move, you know, the more complex use cases up the stack. You know, it's like an API versus a database layer. Cool. Awesome. Well, this is really interesting. Um, I'm excited to to follow the project some more. Can you go into a little bit about the uh, the roadmap for Celestia? Where where you're going? Um, I mean, obviously, you got to get the the data layer and, and the execution layer launched. Um, what else is happening? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not actually not sure, um, kind of off the top of my head, like what what I'm comfortable sharing. You know, sure. you know, I, I I can say, you know, we've had a DevNet running since November, I think. You know, that had a lot okay. of interest. I that's still running, as I understand it. You know, it, it went far better than I think we initially planned it to way back in November, and we've managed to cool. update everything, um, and and it's running pretty well. Um, from my side, you know, I, I we we do have um, you know, kind of you know, kind of some stuff upcoming. Um, and, and we are planning to kind of release, um, a more usable of this prototype. This is kind of Ethermint based optimate thing on top of Celestia in the next couple of weeks, we're hoping to have, you know, a very, very alpha stage thing of like, here's an RPC you can use, try to play with this. It, you know, the fraud proof is still very much a work in progress. You know, we're not doing a state restricted EVM right now. That's work that needs to be done as we get these fraud proof further along, but we do plan to give people kind of like a toy execution environment they can use along with a lot of documentation, um, for, you know, this is how we built that, you know, all of our code at Celestia is open source. You can go to github.com slash, you know, Celestia org and all of our code is there. Um, so, you know, you can look at that and, and then we do want to provide people like, like documentation for like, you know, here, here's, here's the dev net, you know, here's how you can use it. Um, and, and then how to build on top of it, you know, examples of how to use Optimate, how to build these Cosmos FK applications on top of Optimate. So people can start getting utility out of this, right? Because I think one of the big things, you know, we have to tackle is like, Celestia isn't built for like end users to use directly. It is this infrastructure yeah. component. Like we don't expect people to go show up, you know, get like a MetaMask or a Kepler wallet or whatever, right? And then start saying like, yeah, cool, great. Like I'm sending, you know, bytes to like Celestia and like I'm choosing right. to like raw interpret those bytes. Like that's not the kind of the planned use case here. So we do have to kind of get this developer ecosystem going of people building these roles on top of Celestia. And in the next few weeks, we're going to have a lot more public information on um, you know, how developers can do that. Um, you know, and just, I'll plug, you know, my Twitter, you know, J Sky Bowen, um, you know, and, and just, you know, DM me on Twitter if you're interested in this space. Um, I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to kind of get more involved in this space um, and run them through things, you know, and, and at least, you know, be able to kind of reach out to them, you know, when we get this public documentation available. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put a link to J Sky Bowen at Twitter and uh, Celestia.org down in the description here. Um, very cool. I, I guess uh, just before we wrap up, I, I had one other question for DevNet. Have you had to do any hard forks? And, and if so, did you find that easier because there's no like inherent execution environment and it's just the data layer or is it still a, a headache? Yeah, so we haven't had to do any hard forks on it because a lot of the changes happen um, you know, kind of like the, the code architecture, right? Like we have this like block propagation and it's, it's 
basically it, it's a little bit different. It's like the Celestia app code, but it's yeah. basically like a tendermint app and it just, it's propagating blocks. Right. And then the data availability actually happens as like a component, basically like subscribing to that block. So there's a difference between someone who's like a full node for data availability and someone who's like a validator producing blocks. Sure. And because of that, a lot of our updates happen at this kind of second layer um, where people will kind of interact. And because of that, we, we haven't had any, you know, hard force because it's the, the kind of consensus and block ordering block production is separate from the data availability. So you can update and kind of dramatically change the interfaces on this data availability layer without having to actually, you know, push anything down to like the, the raw, like Tendermint network layer. Cool. So we haven't had to do any hard force. And, and, and you know, to be completely honest, like we launched the DevNet in like November as like, cool, let's see if this stuff works together. And then we were like, great. And we just like, you know, sat in a room and like put it together in like, you know, one day. And we're like, I we'll just like let it run. And then like, you know, a couple weeks later, we're like, hey, there's like, you know, tens to hundreds of people trying to run validators in this network. We're like, oh, okay. I get, like we thought it was just going to die after two weeks. Yeah. And there was so much interest that it kind of kept running, you know? And, and, and it, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's a good signal for like, how much interest there is in the project and kind of how well it's running. You know, it, it seems it's relatively low effort from our side to kind of keep this thing up and running. Cool. Awesome. Well, Josh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this was a great discussion. I really appreciate what y'all are doing at Celestia and I'll be watching the project closely going forward. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on Luke. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. So thanks again so much. Hope y'all join me next week for the CoinPress podcast. Bye for now.